Hello there. You're listening to Sasitup podcast by Sashwath and Oscar where we speak with startup founders, venture capitalists and some of the leading talents in the world. We listen to their personal journeys and share their stories that shape their world view. Simon is a VP of product at otter.ai which is an award-winning AI note-taking and collaboration app for capturing voice meetings and conversations. Welcome to the show Simon. Thank you Saswat, thank you Oscar. Pleasure to be here. We spoke first on Clubhouse which is a social audio platform and there we are again on our podcast talking about the future of audio in the digital universe. Would love to know a little bit about you and your journey as well. Of course I know about your background but it would be uh, much more nicer for our audience to hear from you as well. Sure. My background is this uh, after graduating from MIT with electrical engineering and computer science degree, I moved to the San Francisco Bay Area to join all the tech company opportunities. So I started out at Oracle, started out as a software engineer and just uh, spent about 7 years climbing up the engineering ladder. But eventually I find that my passion is in product management. So I joined a startup called Evocal which acquired by Nuance. and never turn back i love product management and in terms of industry i spend most of my time working on speech technology so speech to text voice recognition and uh, in the industry of uh, contact centers so trying to optimize and automate the agent experience and reducing talk time and eventually work in speech recognition technology to have the back in the days is a very annoying <laughs> experience where you call into an 800 number and and the automated system says sorry i didn't get that but fast forward to my latest gig right now at audit.ai technology has really mature and we're applying artificial intelligence to create a really great experience of being able to transcribe long form multi party conversations to the level of accuracy that is just amazing So that really opens up a lot of possibilities. So right now auto.ai is a small startup based in Silicon Valley transcribing conversations for your meetings, interviews, lectures and for podcasters and creators like you guys you can use auto to transcribe your podcast so you can repurpose your content and post a show notes for SEO. But uh, right now yeah we're really laser focused on the meeting note taking collaboration space. Absolutely Simon I think that's a great point that you mentioned that the podcasting ecosystem is taking a spike it has been doing really good for the last one and a half two years and especially the covid pandemic has accelerated this entire podcasting world so how did your company vision evolve over the years i mean i'm pretty sure you have been with otter for the last four years so what are your thoughts on the future of audio as well and the space that you are currently operating in We have actually been fairly focused on that one mission is just turn every voice conversation into searchable and shareable text. We took a bottoms up approach, so when we first launched the Auto product, we gave it out as a free app in the App Store and Google Play. Really just to get the product out the door, get it into the market, get some validation and that sort of confirms that okay, meeting note taking, that's a valuable use case. And then eventually we have a pay product with more functionalities, more minutes, just more powerful for collaboration. And then we built another tier which is an auto business for teams and organizations and large enterprises who want to adopt the auto platform collectively as a team and gotten a lot of great feedback and I think with all the recent excitement about audio 
first experience or audio focused experiences. That really confirms that the industry and also the market is recognizing that audio is a very efficient channel and very lightweight channel to communicate. We're very excited about the future of voice. So Simon, when you're building a product from personal experience, I know how important a roadmap is. Having a roadmap, having milestones in mind that your team and yourself know exactly what you're going to do actually in the future and what you're trying to achieve. Can you share with us your perspective, your approach of building a roadmap? How do you tackle a roadmap? What's your approach to that? That's a great question. Now, before I answer the question, I'll take a step back. The role of a product manager is really to understand your target customer and what problem you're trying to solve for that target customer. So that's really important. You have to have that good understanding of what is the opportunity to solve a real problem for your potential customers. So that's point number one. Point number two, when you try to have a product-led company and create a product to take it to the market, most companies, the main objective is to make money. So, <laughs> right? so then you have to balance between creating a product that addresses the customer need but also will drive sustainable revenue. So that's a, really a balancing act. So now having said that, how do you create a roadmap? So it really depends on whether you're joining a company as a product manager, you're joining a company that has a mature product, or you're joining a company that's like really building a product from scratch. At different stages of a product lifecycle, the prioritization might be different. So you have to recognize that. So for example, for Otter, our journey, because it is a startup, is a brand new product. We're trying to carve out a new market segment of uh, meeting transcription. User adoption is very important. We're not so focused initially on revenue. So getting prioritizing functionality to address a large potential market and getting user adoption super critical. So you want to prioritize features and functionality that drives onboarding and adoption of the product. And then later on, as we continue to evolve, we have gained some traction. We develop an initial early adopters and a fan base and promoters of our product. Then we recognize, okay, what are the features and functionality that's really going to better address the workflow of the target users who are using it for meetings? And what are some things that people would be willing to pay for? So we have to figure out what are some features that are beyond the paywall versus what are some features that you still offer it for free so that people get to try it and experience that for life. In terms of product roadmap prioritization framework, there are many prioritization framework out there. I think a common theme about product prioritization is maximum impact, least effort, M-I-L-E. So it's like an acronym, MILE, M-I-L-E. So maximum impact, least effort. I think that's a common theme, regardless of which roadmap prioritization framework that you use. So yeah, I think to the product manager community out there, just pick whatever framework that works for you and your company at the level of pace that you do. But ultimately, you want to balance between addressing a user need, a target customer need, and your business results. I really like that approach. So just to get it right, we have like three things going on here. First of all, you need to know your customer's pain, basically. You need to provide value for your customers so you get the word out, you get more customers. But at the same time, you still need to think about revenue at the end. So what I would like to know, when is this tipping point that you change from providing value? I mean, you obviously want to provide value all of the time, but when is this tipping point from providing value to building features that really drive revenue? <laughs> the investors would really want to <laughs> want us to get revenue. That's one realistic timing, right? But honestly, I think once you're able to get user feedback and look at your user statistics and see if you offer a free product, 
and people are using it regularly. And you start doing a quantitative analysis and see, figure out where is the sweet spot potentially. You can test out, create a paywall at a certain point. Some customers are also willing to give you a feedback and say, it's like, wow, this is fantastic. You really save us a lot of money. I pay X, Y, and Z. So through qualitative feedback from your, your early adopters, as well as some data analysis, you would be able to find and start testing where the right paywalls are. And then you put out a pay product and then continue to iterate and learn and see where's the right spot. You would probably not get it right the first time, and that's perfectly okay. But just be mindful that you set up your experiments and maybe offer the early adopters, give them a break, and maybe they can grandfather and get into the better value offering. But then for your new users that you acquire, you can test out the different paywalls and pricing. You already mentioned you work a lot with user feedback and it's funny because I'm a designer myself and when you build a product, when you design a product, oftentimes how you want people to use it and how people actually use it are two different things, right? So do you have any stories like any user observations, user feedback that really impacted your roadmap where you thought, okay, wow, users are using it differently than we actually intended to. We need to shift. We need to do something else to really provide that value for our customers. Yeah. So before you launch a product, most likely what you know, you as a designer or product managers, you would do some user testing. You know, you want to do some early mockups and before you spend the engineering's time to build out the full solution, you want to do some early user testing just to validate and make sure that you get the initial product right. Once you've launched your first release, then again, it's a combination of quantitative and qualitative feedback you would likely want to use some instrumentation framework. For example, at Otter, we use Amplitude. There's also mixed panel and other types of application instrumentation. So you can really understand how your users are engaging with your product. Where are people falling out? If you want to analyze the mini funnel for onboarding, or if you want to analyze the mini funnel for the purchasing flow, you really get to be able to see step-by-step step where people dropping off and where, where are the friction points within the product. But then you also want to combine qualitative feedback. So you might want to be able to select based on the quantitative results. You want to invite some users, send them surveys, or even invite them to a Zoom call and just to talk it out and really understand so that you can, you can answer the why. So through a combination of qualitative and quantitative feedback, you get a sense of why people are interacting with your product in a certain way and how many of these users are experiencing friction point in this page. So you get both the quantitative and qualitative. I agree to that. I think it's very important to ask to why to really understand your customers. What are some of the metrics you are currently tracking? What are the KPIs that you look into and how do you actually monitor them? Back to my earlier point about delivering value to users and also making sure that we can have a sustainable business. The KPIs or the key metrics that are more related to the user experience, you probably want to take a look at your onboarding flow and see how many people after they sign up, are they successfully onboarded? Maybe you have some tutorials. You want to measure and see how many of your users are activated. Once the users are activated, then you want to measure what are the key actions that your product is delivering. So for Otter, it might be recording, transcribing. For Pinterest, it might be how many pins. Just some sense of like, what is the most important action of your product you want to quantify? 
And based on that, you want to quantify the usual, the MAU, DAU, WAU, the you know, monthly, weekly, and daily active users as defined by the key actions of your product. And then in terms of the conversion funnel, you know, making money <laughs> on that point, then you want to see how many people, how many of your free users are converting. When are they converting? And similarly, like I mentioned about the onboarding funnel, understand your payment flow. How many people are discovering that you can upgrade? So look at all your paywall entry points and see where the drop-off points are and see if you can run some A-B testing experiments to optimize those flows. Excellent. You know, while you were talking about it, I was just looking into the live feed as well, the live meeting notes of our current conversation. And I must say, Otter is doing an amazing job. I mean, you know, we are actually seeing every word we are speaking to each other. And it's uh, very live as well. It's yes. just not transcribing, but the live feed is much more interesting because, you know, there's no lag. It's like in live runtime, dynamic audio to text change as well. So that is interesting. Thank you so much. And this is actually a pretty good test amongst the three of us. Pretty diverse backgrounds. Yeah, Otter is able to handle different accents. Otter is able to handle different acoustic environments, whether it's in person or via video communication platforms. Excellent. You know, 2020 was very interesting, Simon. Audio was at the center and a lot of use cases were revolving around it. Of course, podcasting took off. Of course, the social audio like Twitter spaces or Clubhouse also took off. But, you know, I'm more interested to know from your experience in this particular space as well. What do you see how the future of audio will be shaping up in the coming years with respect to the space that you are operating in? For example, this digital universe that we are all navigating in, right? It has a lot of audio to text use cases and vice versa as well. Do you see some of the future trends or something that you have been tracking of it as well? 2020 has definitely been a very challenging year, but one silver lining is that it really propelled and fast forward the adoption of communication technology, whether it is the traditional video conferencing technology like Zoom and Google Meet and Microsoft Teams, or the new generation of audio, drop-in audio, social platforms like Clubhouse and Twitter Spaces and all the similar, you know, all the other ones that are in other platforms. So I think it's a validation that we're back to the basics. Voice being the most natural, intuitive, and efficient channel of communication because people don't have to worry about what they look like. They can just wake up and be in their casual clothing and pop in and participate in conversation. Very exciting. So one new behavior or culture that has been developed is that this notion of having a spontaneous and ephemeral interactions through voice. So definitely Clubhouse has validated that that is something that people enjoy. So I think that we haven't seen as much of that before, whereas things are more planned. You have to plan and schedule a Zoom call. You know, the only spontaneous thing is picking up the phone and calling people. But, you know, when we have all these other channels where people start doing texting and they don't do phone calls anymore. So kind of it comes full circle again. And now people want to be able to hop in, but in a more social way, right? It's less one-to-one -one phone calls, but more open. People want to network. I see that the future of audio channel involves a combination of spontaneous versus planned interactions. It's also going to be a combination of ephemeral versus persistent conversations. Right now, Clubhouse is more ephemeral. You participate, nothing is recorded. 
then the conversation is gone. But oftentimes when I go into a clubhouse room, people are saying, yes, I'm taking notes and I'll share notes afterwards or certain rooms are recorded and we'll reshare it. But wouldn't it be nice if uh, some of these like, really valuable nuggets of information are just automatically transcribed and recorded and the creators still have control to be able to decide whether or not to make it available, right? So that way is if you want it to be ephemeral, you can but you really want to have a very convenient way to persist and repurpose the content and share it with your audience and, and really amplify your message. I also see that another dimension is audio versus multimodal, right? So things like Twitter spaces and Clubhouse is really mostly audio only, but I do see that for some conversations, it really helps to have the visual alongside, but not as heavy lifting as a full-blown video conferencing platform, but if you have that additional visual presentation at the right time and people talk about doing a DM and text messaging. So multimodal still seems to be the need, but Clubhouse is pretty firm about just being audio only right now. So taking all these themes of spontaneous versus planned, ephemeral versus persistent, audio versus multimodal, I think it's really going to be a combination of all those things. It's not one thing versus the other, but for depending on your use case, company meetings or webinars or coaching sessions. I see that audio being at the core, but there are all these different dimensions and the meeting facilitators should have the choice to decide how they want to create the best experience leveraging all these levers. I was testing one of a similar product as well. There's a product I think, again, uh, that has come up called Geneva where it has uh, just not audio, but also the video capabilities as well. So quite a lot of community builders are you know, scaling up on that particular platform. I wouldn't be surprised if later this year or maybe early next year, Clubhouse might even launch uh, maybe a recording feature or maybe options for uh, creators to actually record or transcribe as well. And at that point in time, definitely Otter might come in <laughs> as, a, as a good tool as well. That's just my hunch, but there's definitely a possibility as well on that space. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. And by the way, just low-key plug, there is a third-party developer called Club Deck that already has an integration with Otter.ai. So for some creators who do want to do that, you can already use Club Deck plus Otter.ai to record and transcribe your room and so that you can repurpose your content. Absolutely. And Simon, Oscar and I were discussing about a concept called ambient intelligence as well. I mean, is it like similar to AI? Could you help us understand it better? Ambient intelligence is a phrase that characterizes that it is artificial intelligence that does not get in the way of your conversation. It's ambient in a sense that it's on the side right next to you. It's silently recording and transcribing your conversations. It's not like other voice assistant that chimes in and interrupt your conversation. So there's no OK Google or there's no Hey Alexa, right? So our approach to adding voice intelligence is to be ambient, to be in the background and not in the way of the human to human conversation, as opposed to other approaches to voice assistant has been more the human talking to the bot and the bot comes back with a response. So that's one way that we want to differentiate that we are about long-form multi-party conversation and delivering value through ambient intelligence. Simon, you are a product leader yourself and you're very active on Clubhouse. I've been following you for a while and you'd be listening to a lot of great leaders speak on various platforms and you'd be reading a lot of novels as well as books, etc. What are some of your favorite books or inspirations from other platforms? 
Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, I learned through so many ways. And I, I think like some, some people learn more through reading books, other people learn more through taking courses. And then myself, I, I like to learn from many, many things, whether it's reading books or listening to podcasts or jumping into clubhouse rooms. Now, nowadays, I try to incorporate that into part of my routine. It's just like so many sources that you can learn from. There's a book that I'm sort of rereading right now. It's called Competing on Analytics by Thomas Davenport. The gist of it is that it really helps you to provide to a framework to execute your business with maximum efficiency and effectiveness and really just try to make the best business decision based on data. So I think it's very relevant. It's an older book, but it's I think there's still a lot of relevance to any companies that are very analytically driven to really optimize your business processes. So I definitely recommend that as a good read. Thank you so much, Simon. We'll definitely give it a read. And yeah, it was lovely to have you on our show and have this conversation. We might as well have a clubhouse room sometime together and bring in a lot of our listeners as well so that you can share your nuggets of information with the product audience. It was great to have you on a show. Happy to participate and hop into your rooms in the future. Thank you so much for your time, Simon.